you start to question your value. You start to question your self-worth. Like the more money you got, the more successful you are, and most people really do buy into that. But really, I just needed a break. What I love is helping people. I'm Julie Bauke, and welcome to The Evolved Career, a podcast where we help you determine what truly does matter most to you and how it can have a profound impact on your life. My guest today is Susie DeYoung of La Soup, and that's L-A-S-O-U-P-E. Not soupe, but soup. Welcome, Susie. Thank you. And your career, broadly speaking, is food. Yeah. Always, yes. always, always. Yes. Yeah. In my research on you before doing this, I loved where you said you were born with a family genetic disorder, loving to cook. Yeah. Why do you call whole, that a genetic disorder? Well, it's not an easy life choice. It's um, when you go into restaurant world, you give up a lot. You get a lot, but you give up a lot. What do you give up? Social life, family life. <laughs> Just um, little things. <laughs> the little things. Well, all of your friends are getting married. It's very rare that you get off. You know, I had one year I remember thinking, am I going to get to any of my friends' weddings? Because they're always on a Saturday, and that's your busy night in the restaurant. So, Did you ever think about changing careers while you were in the middle of that? No. no. I couldn't figure out what else to do. Okay. I didn't really have another thought. I think, you know, I, I kind of ended up where I ended up, and I enjoyed it. So, but, the you know, the, the times where you're working on you know, holidays where everybody else is off and um, just the the grind that, sure. you know, night after night after sure. night is, is difficult, especially yeah. when I had children. Oh, yes, absolutely. So um, I, it, you were not carrying a spatula around at age three. I think cooking came to you a little bit later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my father and grandfather were both chefs, but my father died when he was 46 he was the head chef of the Masonette and um, brought the first five stars to Cincinnati. And I can actually say without a doubt that I'll never forget the day that he said, A, stay here and learn how to cook when all the kids are outside playing kickball or kick the can or whatever we were playing. And he wanted to show me how to make a steak au pop. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and I was all of... I'm going to say I was in sixth, maybe fifth grade. What was your reaction to that? No. Uh, <laughs> the friends are outside. Can I please go just play? And he said, someday you're going to really wish you paid attention. And with that, I thought, hmm, I guess I'll stay. So ah, I stayed. Okay. And then at the end of it, and I still remember everything about it. I can remember the smells. I mm. remember the pan. I remember it. But I remember him saying, you will do this in a home, never for a career. I don't want you doing okay. this. Yeah. It's like you hear actors and actresses saying they really don't want their kids to go into the family business. Right, right. Yeah, but there so, you were. There I was. I, I went to school for French, but I couldn't. I was working in restaurants so that I could go to school, and I couldn't figure out how do you get a job or interview for a job. I mean, it's different now sure with the is. internet. Yeah. But how do you do all of that yeah. if you're working? I yeah. couldn't figure out, like, you, do you tell your employer, I'm looking for another job? I don't want to do this anymore. I, I just, I didn't yeah, know how so to do it. you just stayed. I just stayed. And it's it's fortuitous that you did. Yeah. One of the things I loved, and um, you said that you didn't like anything red. Mm -mm. You wouldn't eat any red food. No tomato, 
nothing, even pizza, unless like the really, really bad microwavable pizzas that have like a schmoo. Yeah. Of tomato sauce. And, and the schmoo is? Just a smear. A smear. A smear of food on something okay. that's solid. Technical cooking term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Family cooking term. Yeah. We all have our, our weirdnesses, I think, right. around food. And mine was always, I'll eat eggs, but the yellow and the white can't be separate. You know, and I carry that to this day. Oh, my gosh. So no deviled eggs for oh, you? No, no. Please no. don't make me gag on the air. <laughs> no, because it, it will definitely make me gag. So you, so... You, you you at that point from sixth grade on is that when you really yeah. started taking interest in cooking? I didn't really start taking the interest in cooking till college when I was working at Mecklenburg Gardens, which and, is a German restaurant here right, in Cincinnati, and a wonderful chef Dan kind of took me under his yeah. wing and let me let me work in the kitchen with zero experience. And then at night, I would wait tables because you make money waiting yes, tables. Yes, So, But he let me come in and work with him. And at that point, it was more just because I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah. And, um, you know, shamefully to say that I also didn't have money to eat. Okay. And so that would be two shifts of an employee <laughs> oh. meal. So I got the German oh lentil gosh. soup at Mecklenburg Gardens twice in a day instead oh of just gosh. once. So, yeah, oh my, my, my hunger pains yeah. brought me there. It's interesting, you know, of all the people I've interviewed so far, and I've been doing career coaching for a very long time, it's interesting how things like need, like in your case, the need to eat, and mentors, mentorship. Right. Mentorship is huge. Somebody who takes an interest in you. Right. You know, when when you're young and somebody takes an interest in you, sometimes we automatically become interested in what they're what they're doing as a response to that interest and care in us. Absolutely. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's true just in, in all and parts all of part, life. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is. So um, you know, one of the things that I, I you have cooked for George W. Bush. Yep. Hillary and Bill Clinton. Yep. Prince Andrew. Yep. Bruce Springsteen and Julia fave, Child. Fave. Fave. Who? Springsteen? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that was like your girl crush, right? Still I mean, is. sort of your, okay, no, you, you use fan girl Yeah. You, you use past tense. It's okay. Still, yeah. It's sad. But the one that made me go, oh, was when you said you cooked for Julia Child. I know. That was Okay. A, that hurt. It was hard. And it was at the Mercantile. There is no kitchen. You are cooking. Oh, li- which is library. In the library. Between the bookshelves, you have to bring in all the hot boxes, all the equipment. These are the days, I think since then, they've moved the seated meals okay. for the Niehoff, um, Buck Niehoff series, I think has moved to a hotel room or somewhere that they do it where they're actually set up to do it. Okay. But, um, yeah. It so, was so what'd you make? Butternut squash soup Yum. and a sea bass and pasta baskets, Lari Covert, and a chocolate flourless tort. And can how, you, how can was you it? Date, can you date that di- dinner? Yeah, you but know? it still sounds good. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> but um, was, was it good? It was good, actually. Did she think it was out, good? She really liked it. Good. First of all, she came into the kitchen. Oh, you know, because she was standing there by herself. And I don't know, her escort kind of got caught talking to local other okay. celebrity kind of people. And she was just standing there. And I thought, now or never. So I beelined over there and I said, Julia, would you like to see the kitchen? Okay. So she came over and I really wanted her to meet the staff that had worked tirelessly on this event. And she was just as normal, charming. Yeah. 
wonderful. I think we get ourselves all worked up that we think, you know, people who are in the spotlight can't be nice she, and normal. And she just wanted to be fed. I mean, yeah. you know, she was looking forward and she liked food. And I'll never forget her opening this the um, hot box. And she did this kind of with her hand and then which is trying to pull smells out out and says i smell butter and it's like (laughs) i I can go to my grave happy i'm like i loved every moment of it but i still have to know what you fed the boss also the boss was different because they don't want you to they don't know what he's going to want to eat okay so you bring three different entrees and um he is Definitely a healthy, 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 healthy eater. Okay. Green vegetables and sea bass, chicken, or steak. Okay. He chose the sea bass, and it was just a bounty of green vegetables with sea bass. Wonderful. Very easy. And his crew, and the crew was more like that was a buffet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The crew gets the line, the chow line. But you know what? But they were so happy with our. Kind of because we were so honored to do this for him because we're such fangirls that I don't think they're used to eat. I've seen it backstage after that a couple of times, and nobody laid out a spread like we did. Yeah, so they definitely got spoiled. Yes, what a great that's great. Those are great stories. So you also had an actual physical space, a brick and mortar restaurant. Yep, with your sister, right? Right, my sister Michelle Volman. And um, we ran that for twenty five plus years, so it was a lot of time. That's a lot of, you know, for so many years it was so much fun. So many years, but physical ailments one after another after another after you know it's just long and hard on your feet on your body. Um, Unfortunately, our walk in was outside, so those three steps that you go up and down a thousand times a day. Okay. And then catering, because our mainstay was really the catering off-site, you're loading cars in, out, in, out. Yeah. To go to a client's house, you load into in, the out, van, in, out. Yep. back to their house, back into the van, back into the shop. It was just a lot of physical, physical work. And it's not like I try to keep myself in shape. I don't know how people do it if they don't. But I had a major back surgery that was really concerning in the sense that will I be able to keep going? I don't know. And, you know, it was not foreseeable, meaning it wasn't something that was creeping up on me. It was just it happened and I had to deal with it. So that and I just think the nature of food was changing and I wasn't changing with it. Yeah. So you... Uh, you spent 25 plus years mm-hmm. catering with a restaurant, feeding people. Feeding people. Feeding people who could pay the bill. Right. Feeding people who wanted fine food. Right. Um, who wanted uh, steak au poivre, who wanted sea bass, who wanted fresh vegetables. And you had a moment, and maybe a series of moments, that took your career in a different direction. We always were involved in different charitable organizations, like most restaurants, right? Like how many pay-to-plays is what I call them when you go and there's 20 restaurants there and you're, you know, you're doing your part to support the charity of your choice. There became a time where I started doing soups for charity events. Okay. Empty Bowls was the first one. 
Then I started doing a few at St. Gertrude's where my boys were in school on Make a Difference Day, where I would take the fourth graders, we'd make soup, we'd distribute the soup. The fourth grade class would choose what charity the food or the money would go to. They were in charge of selling the soup outside of mass. And it was just kind of a fun way to to be engaged with the kids. But I really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed that thought. So it was really, I think, just the burnout. And it's really hard to talk about burnout until you've been through it. Mm -hmm. Like now, I don't know if I, I, it's hard for me to even imagine mentally where I was at that time. Um, I was angry, hateful, just didn't really enjoy working at La Petite anymore. And nobody else was offering. I mean, I guess I could have gone and found a job. But to me, it was more important to look inward and say, what, what is it about food that I still love? Yeah, what love is that. It, what is it that I still want to do with food? I mean, it was like food stylist, consulting. I hate that word. I, I, I was like, what is it that I could do? Yeah, and let's I really stop right there for a second because I think that is that's a crucial moment. Oh, it totally and is. You found your way to that moment, but you had to go through a lot of really negative emotions and a negative experiences Horrible. to come out and ask yourself that question. And in my experience, few people actually get to that moment. They get stuck in bitter, angry, you know, just fried, nasty to be around. And you said to yourself, okay, I'm in this moment, and I'm sure it was something like this, but I'm in this moment. What is it I still like or love about where I am? So how do I separate out the stuff I'm really tired of and focus on the stuff that I'm not tired of, that I might like to turn my focus to? Which is, for people listening, if you're stuck and you're trying to figure out your what's next, listen to this, because this is how you do it. This is how you get out of a burn. It's not easy, but this is how you get out of a burned out situation. Go ahead. I I mean, I just laugh because it's like, (laughs) it's crazy. It's what it is. But it was the hardest, most emotional, difficult thing I've ever done. And mostly almost, I mean, besides obviously giving up a financial certainty, Mm -hmm. um, it was emotionally breaking from my business partner and my sister. Yes. Wow. And um, and the ripple down, the triple down effect of whatever decision I'm making affects her. And how to get to the point that allowed myself to say, but I still have to take care of me. I right. can't take care of us unless I take care of me. And I can't take care of us anymore because I don't want to do this job. And that takes a while to get to. It, got, it took a long time. Especially, I think, for women. I think we're very wired to think about how does this affect everybody around me right. and to really every pay employee, attention to those relationships. Every, uh, People are depending on you. Right. And our clients. Sure. I loved our clientele. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't want to be the like the loser who just left them. Right. You know, I wanted to leave La Petite in good hands with a good crew. It's not like I was going to leave and take people with me. And I really didn't want to in the sense for that reason, but also I needed to kind of figure it out on my own. I did not write a business plan. I did not have really any other thought. I talked to a lot of different people. Okay. That's, that's I got awesome. a lot of advice. Yep. Um, 
A lot of people from the very beginning said you need to be a nonprofit, but because what I was doing was so nobody else was doing it, I thought there's so many already question marks about this move. I I don't know how to run a nonprofit. I I only know how to write checks to them. I don't work for a non, you know, I didn't understand the fundamental differences and um so I didn't do that. I, I love how you went out and it's not you're not going out necessarily to say to people solve my problem for me but you're ask it sounds like you did it the right way you were asking for their input and their perspective and then considered that as you were looking I at yourself i considered all of it and all i kept thinking is there's enough unknowns i got to just run this like i would if i was in it to make money okay like and just trust yep. the process the process was not easy in that sense like we were certainly not bringing in enough money. The location, location, location is not a retail location. But I also did that on purpose because I didn't want the pressure of having to people coming in all day when I'm still just trying to figure out what am I, how am I going to get the food? Who's going to bring me the food? What food am I going to rescue? Could it be used for soup? I mean, there was okay. just a myriad of questions. So, so. Here you are saying, okay, I'm going to jump in. I've got all these things that are unknown. Here's how I'm going to do it. So tell us, let's let's um, let's stop right here for a second and tell us what Le Soup is today. And then let's back up and talk about how you get there. Okay. So Le Soup today is a three-pronged mission of rescue, transform, and share. So we rescue produce on all different levels of the supply chain. It can be from wholesalers, it can be from grocers. We only accept food from um, certified places. Like if you have a carrot from your house, I can't take sure. it. Okay. Um, local farmers big time now donate to us or just okay. drop by with things that they were unable to sell. They're usually what we call imperfect foods. Um, and then we transform it and make it into something you couldn't give a person in poverty a head of cauliflower and expect them, oh, here, it's free. Take it. Eat it. It's better for you than the bag of chips. It's just, that's just That not, wouldn't work with me. It either. doesn't work. <laughs> so then um, finding the people and the ways to share it with people. So, so were you transforming it mostly into soup? Almost always into soup, at okay. least in the beginning. Okay. Yeah. Um, but then we had the salads. You know, okay, then sure. we'd get all this lettuce mix, and we actually came up with a soup that we, is still one of our best sellers, which I call Power Green Soup. It's green vegetables, mostly green lettuces, spinach, and kale, and broccoli. And you call it, it's a bright green soup, but it's got, it's, you know, seasoned with lemon juice and not much salt. And it's about as healthy as, it's kind of like a, a warm green smoothie, yeah. I guess. But. So, so you, 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 Feed people who can't afford it, but you also sell? We sell it. We sell about 8%, 7% of what. And it was always, for me, very important that if it's good enough for me and I'm putting my name on it, it's good enough for people to buy, but that's not the purpose. But if you would like it, I'm not going to say this soup is for this person because they don't have money. Okay. This soup is for Julie because she does have money. To me, that defeats the whole sure, story and the whole purpose. Yes. And I think, I mean, there are two or three soups that we do that we purposefully go out and get beef for beef bourguignon. 
in lobster bodies, lobster meat, cream, sherry for the lobster bisque. I mean, there's some soups that we offer because of my past. And at La Petite, I supplied many, 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 many families with their beef bourguignon or their lobster bisque that they've eaten for years as your Christmas Eve and Christmas dinner or New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. So I felt very, um, I, I felt like it was would be wrong for me if I changed my career not to offer that so that they could continue with their family tradition. So people, the 8%, the people who buy the soups, that helps fund. It helps. Also. Yeah, it's about... Not quite quarter of our funding. Okay. It's mostly grants and foundations. So you get the produce, mm-hmm. you transform it. Yep. And tell me, take me back to that moment when you're like, okay, how did you find, how did you find the most pressing needs to address first? What was that moment? The first was to find the food, because I didn't. I I, I don't. I'm not in this field, but I see waste on yes. every level. Sure. And um, I talked to other chefs. I talked to Jean Robert for a long time, and I'll Very never famous forget chef French here in chef Cincinnati. Here. And I said, "Do you think there's enough waste in the restaurants?" Like that was where I was eyeballing sure. it. And he said, "I would go to Kroger." So what I ended up doing was cyber stalking for real a woman who I thought looked acted, sounded like, everything I could read, I think I've got the right person. Now if I could just get her to respond, and she did, and her name was Lynn Marmer. Mm-hmm. And she, I explained to her how much food I see on a day-to-day basis going into the landfill because La Petite sits above the Madeira Kroger. Ah, okay. So it's we we can see it. And she's like, no, it, it, it really gets donated. And I'm like, not here, it doesn't. I see ah. it. And what they so you were tattled. calling, yeah, I was like, I didn't enter this to be a whistleblower <laughs> at all. I just wanted to know why, and 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 if it's going into the dumpster, why can't I take it? And you know, on their level, they've got to keep the best, the best, the best, sure. because their clients are demanding the best, right? But we don't need the best. We're just cutting it up, boiling it, and putting exactly. it into soup. Right. So she she paved the way for me, for sure. Okay. So now you have there. the food coming in. You, of course, have all this experience making wonderful soup, and you know what works and you know what doesn't. Right. So how do you then go to, who are we going to feed with this soup? Where, where was your low-hanging fruit there? It was, um, I really wanted to get to the kids, because the aha moment that I had was, and I would give my right arm to find that newspaper the day that it was all in one article, or not in one article, but one issue. And it was in the Cincinnati Enquirer, and they were talking about the absurd level of poverty and food insecurity in our city. And it, and it was probably my guess in the USA Today insert that it was talking about food waste, and that was the same number. And I'm like, is anybody like looking at how dumb this looks? 40% is being thrown away that's perfectly edible and perfectly fine. If we could just take that and move it over to those in poverty. I mean, I know that you can't just give the head of cauliflower. We've got to do something with it to to make it easy for people to eat it. But yeah, I just it was one newspaper article. That, or one day in the newspaper that I saw two staggering statistics that made me go, whoa. So <clears throat> it really all changed when um, social media, mm-hmm. Facebook, and a teacher from Euler 
The an elementary school? Elementary school in Lower Price Hall. Well, it's not an elementary. It's uh, K through 12. K through 12. Okay. And she wrote about um, coming back from... Uh, she came back from her... Not Christmas break, a snow day. A Friday was a snow day. So she was there on a Monday. She went looking for a child that was too weak from hunger to climb the steps. Ugh. So I literally went rogue. I read this whole thing about, you know, how we're failing these children. This kid's going to take a state standardized test, and she's just hungry. She's mm. not going to be able to perform. Mm. She's judged. The teachers judge the school, the state, the district. Everybody's going to be judged when all this child needed was something to eat. So I literally went rogue and went down. Sounds like that ignited. It did. Your... And, and then it was like, how many schools could we do this with? And at the same time, I had a woman come into the shop who um, she – said, I had the same kind of vision. I was going to do this with a food truck. I was going to sell food on the weekends at festivals and healthy meals at festivals and stuff. And then during the week, I was going to take the same food truck and go into food deserts. And her name's Mimi Dyer. She's now our board president. Ah, okay. And she had the flywheel knowledge of, A, she worked with nonprofits, with ProKids. She was a Kindervelt. She, you know, she's was had way, way, way more experience than I ever did in any of that. So she's just like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay and work with you, and let's just do this Wonderful. together. So yes. um, yeah. her walking in at that point was crucial because it was like, no, let's get volunteers. You don't have to drive it to the west side. Let's get a volunteer. And so then we saw this app that had just been developed it was being used in Columbus, and I saw somebody sent me it. It was in a trade magazine. So we got a hold of them. And like I said, it was Columbus was a test market. So we drove up there and rode around with them, and we were like, this is what we need. This app will tell us and help us schedule. It's like a really, really, really uh, focused sign-up genius. I mean, in what essence, what's it that, called? Um, Food Rescue U.S. Oh, okay. So when you go on the app, you put in your, you know, all your whatever, your driver's license, all your info, whatever. And then you can look and say, you know, I'm, I don't have anything every Monday from 8 a.m. to noon. I would love to do something. And you'll see how many runs that we've scheduled at various grocery stores or farm markets or wherever we're okay. picking up the food. And then you just say, hmm. I could do that every Monday. I'll adopt that, Ron. I'll do that every Monday. So that's how, and then it just kept growing uh, from that point and yeah. to where we've got 1,500 registered volunteers today. Wow. Yeah. You know, there's a quote um, that I saw attributed to you that tells me that, you know, this was in your heart even when you were at La Petite. I'll never forget sitting at the window of La Petite and wishing we could just get a bus of homeless people up here so I could feed them. So that was in your heart and on your for mind. For a long time. For a long time. Yeah. And so I think when we have that on our heart, it it draws opportunity to us in ways that we can't even understand. I never understood it. I can tell you that. I mean, I'm Catholic. I remember saying that 
I and I would drop the boys off to St. Gertrude's, and then I'd go over to eight o'clock mass, and I started to kind of. I don't even know what to call it. I'm not, I wasn't creeped out, but but I'm like, I know the gospel changes every day. And why is it that all I keep hearing is feed my sheep? Why is it that that's all I can hear? Ah, okay. So I think mm. in my voice, in my head, you know, I would I, I would use that time thirty minutes, some days fifteen minutes, depending on who was saying the mass. It could be really quick, but it was just a time to kind of quietly reflect. But the voice that I kept hearing was "Feed my sheep," and um, I, I it was what I was. I, I know now that this was my purpose. This is this you know all these restaurants that open and close every day. They're always after the same sixty percent of our city, right? Yeah. There's forty percent of other people out there that just want to eat too. That's a great way to look at it. And why not cook for the 40%? I enjoy the 60% just like everybody else. Yeah. I like going to every restaurant too, but I th- and I like the the version of I don't have to ever think about what is it that I feel like making because what I make or what our team makes is based on what we receive. Ah, yeah. So as the internet grew, as sourcing became, you know, everybody wants everything when they want it. They don't want to eat in the seasons. You see people, you know, eating corn on the cob in the middle of the winter. That That is our world today. So there's too many choices. If I go into a, a store, I'm a boutique shopper. I like four choices. I don't want 400. Right. And in today's food world, there's 400 choices every single day. It is overwhelming. So for me, it kind of just simplified my brain, my creative brain to say, all we got are, I'll never forget the potatoes and apples. All we got are potatoes and apples. What are we going to do with the potatoes and apples? And I I remember having in France a Calvados. It was a potato vichyssoise that was seasoned with apple. And I was like, let's just try that, I guess. And, I mean, it became a hot, hot seller. It was hot summer, you know, a little bit of brandy and a cold soup with apples and potatoes. And I made it because that's what we had. And I was was absolutely adamant I wasn't going to be buying food. Yes. We buy what we have to, meaning very, very, very rarely would you see a vegetable be purchased, if anything, it's seasoning oil, you know. Um, yes. In the season, we dried a bunch of herbs. So we do have a lot of herbs. But, and again, with all the restaurants that close, it's, you know, we love when they are mindful and call and say, well, do you want to come rescue all the food in the walk-in? Because then at least it's getting used. Right. I love that word rescue as applied to food. Yeah, I do too. Now, so so now you st- you get um, food from you rescue food from restaurants as well as grocery stores mm-hmm. and farmers. Yeah, and wholesalers. So, okay. um, the biggest wholesaler, organic wholesaler, is Crossed, and we go there now twice a week. We also one of we wouldn't be where we are today with a company called Sugar Creek. And Sugar Creek, Julie Richardson is the CEO's wife. She heard me speak. She went inward and looked at what they're throwing away at Sugar Creek. They're a co-packer, and they're also the single largest bacon producer in the country. Wow. And 
she jumped, made every co-packing company, jumped through hoops, whatever, but she got them all to say, instead of throwing this food away, we will donate it. And it took a while. It was, you know, their legal team had to cross all the T's, dot the I's. But before long, through the connections that I had already made and her connections, they now really are almost a zero-waste company. And that is when we started getting protein because we never really had yes. proteins before. Yeah. It was almost always vegetarian. Yeah. But they have a lot of chicken. They have a lot of bacon. They have a lot of pork products. And then some of their co-packing, you know, companies Cheese, salami, crackers, oh almonds. So we make little snack packs for kids, and um, mm, it works. I mean, and, you know, we we said the other day to somebody that, you know, I wonder how much will save you in your rumpke charge. Mm-hmm. Like how much food you were putting into a dumpster. You're not paying us to pick it up. We're picking it up. So really, financially, you should at some point see a better Bottom line. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. I yeah. love that. It wasn't. It wasn't in the game plan, but I right. started thinking about it. It's and a I byproduct thought, of what? Yeah. yeah what you're There's doing. a lot of byproduct. Yes. Yeah. So here we're sitting here today. Give us a feel for the scope of your impact. How do you measure your success? Like, is oh, it my God. meals, pounds. pounds? So give us, give us some of your big numbers. Everything is weighed. So everything coming in is weighed. So this year. Before 2020 hit, so I I think it was in November of 2019, we hit over 1 million pounds. Wow. Rescued. And we transformed that into over 650,000 servings. We measure servings, not meal. Yes. um, And not diners, not people, because we have no idea when it goes to somebody's home, is that one person eating or two? Um, And then... We have, that's a transformational piece. We have over 1,500 volunteers. We deliver to over 83 partnering agencies. We have 60 agencies and or schools, I I call the agency schools, whatever, on hold um, that we just cannot fill the need. You mean kind of a waiting list? No, a nice long waiting list, which we're moving from our lovely 900 square feet building yeah, all this happens oh, in 900, 900 square, feet square feet with oh one building or yeah. one door that you go in and out of. Um, we put a walk-in outside. We have a six burner and a tilt skillet. Wow. And that's it. So, you know, you got to turn the tilt at least three times a day. You, you know, it somehow it just works. Maybe because there's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to lose anything. It's just, it is what it is. Um, we also have a wonderful partner with United Dairy Farmers that gives us pallet space at their Erlanger huge Kentucky fr- cold, facility. cold room. Yeah. Yes, wonderful. Um, so we can hold food there and rotate out of that, especially when you get these last minute calls of, can you take this? I, I mean, it the answer is me. always yes. It always is. Well, almost always. I can say once I said no to a literally a semi of baked potatoes. <laughs> yeah. And I'm yeah. like, your semi has more space than yes, my space. exactly. Can I borrow so your semi? <laughs> I said, if you want to park and let me work off your semi for the rest of your yeah, life, that would yeah. be fine. But um, yeah. I know you're about what you have, the the servings you've been able to get into people's mouths and their bellies. But you've been, you were uh, the local Cincinnati nominee for a Jefferson Award in 2017. Yep. Yep. So you got to go to Washington. 
Yeah. With lots of other people doing really impactful things. That was a that wild was a experience. It was a wild experience. Yes. Because you don't realize how many great people are out there. And yeah. at the breakfast, they do this breakfast where everybody, you know, there's like, I want to say a minute montage of yeah. all the people that are there. And mm. I, I mean, it was like tearful. Yeah. Like, I can't believe there's that many great, good people giving of themselves. They just get the attention they deserve. And then you got the Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis Award for Outstanding Service Benefiting Local Communities. Was that a right. national award? That was the Je- That's the Jefferson. Oh, that's the Jefferson. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yes. Where I got to sit, you know, with Bon Jovi and Dorothea Bon Jovi. Oh, my. Because they, yeah. the they were the public okay. winners, and I was the private winner. Oh, that is so but, wonderful. But... Um, and I've really communicated a lot now with Dorothea because of their James, their John Bon Jovi Soul Kitchen, and my daughter happens to live in Jersey, so we've been there a few more than a few times. Wonderful. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I love what they're doing and how they're approaching it, and I love talking to other people and trying to learn. Like maybe there's one little thing that they do that would really help us, and yeah. sharing like minds. So. so before we get into some of my closing questions, tell me how people can learn more about you and what you're doing, and um, if they want to learn more about how they can help, how would okay. they find that out? So our website primarily is La Soup Cincinnati, L-A-S-O-U-P-E, Cincinnati.com. Okay. Um, the biggest part right now is that we are moving. So we're moving to Walnut Hills. Hopefully the first week of March is what we're still saying. Um, it's 915 East McMillan. This is a 10,000 square wow. foot. Wow. So we're adding. You can, you can get all those baked potatoes back now. I know. I can tell them to bring on the taters. Um, but the biggest difference there will be, A, obviously, the kitchen space, a loading dock. I mean, that that's like, you know, that's yeah. huge for us. A lot of walk-in space, blast chillers. I mean, all the things that we know will make us that much more efficient and get those people off our list. But I think the biggest part is the front end. It's not a dining room. You cannot come in and sit down and have dinner. It's That's not what we're about. Um, there'll be a grab-and-go. You can okay. still get the soups. Love that. But it's an improv cooking studio. So we want this, the community to come and learn how to use excess food. Like we have the Scholar House literally next to us. That's single moms getting their college degree with children. So we can teach the mothers. We can teach the kids. I just think the arts are going away and culinary arts being removed from all the schools, just the same as musical arts. It's, you know, that is a life, life lessons that people are not, they're not exposed to. So being in a neighborhood that is at need, it is a food desert that will be there for them. And we're going to try to figure out the best way and listen to them and about what they need. But I think the improv cooking studio will be a real big game changer for the community. And then at night, we hope to host community dinners where the community is involved. It's not, um, I would love, like, I, I just picture some older woman coming in and saying, oh, I used to make such and such. Well, tell me about it. Let's make it. And you can invite your friends to oh, dinner. I love that. Because oh. there's been a lot of the older people. There's a lot of elderly in, in um, Walnut Hills. And one of the things that 
I keep thinking that they they don't have the space anymore to invite their family yes. for oh dinner. My gosh. So if we could like a community kitchen, a community some kitchen, big tables, exactly. Yes, yeah, one wonderful. nice big table and break bread together. So you're not angry and burn out anymore, are you? No, I'm re-energized. Yes, and all you had to do, you didn't have to change the core thing you were interested in. You just pivoted. Yeah, it was a definite pivot. And just focused on the 40% and not the 60% of diners. Yes. Everybody has to eat. Right. Someday, when you're gone and people are talking about you, what do you hope, how do you hope they'll complete the sentence? The most profound impact Susie made in her life was? Sharing her God-given talent. Wonderful. Thank you. Are you ready to play? Two questions, one deep and one shallow. Oh, geez. Okay. Let's go. All right. Let's see. This is right. not rehearsed. No, exactly. That's why no. I don't tell you in advance. Here's the deep one. We'll, we'll go deep first, then shallow. I like to keep my options open. Okay. What does it mean to have a good life to you? I think anymore it's health in, in all aspects. I, I mean, I have suffered a lot of friends and family that have not been blessed with good health. And, you know, and you refer to times like before, before the diagnosis, life was different before. So I think the biggest blessing I can say is, you know, I've had health crises that I've worked through. But in those moments, I ask the question, will it ever be like it was? So to really try to sit back and appreciate that I have good health. Yes, absolutely. The older you get, the more important that yes. is. So now the shallow question. What personality trait of yours has gotten you in the most trouble? My mouth. <laughs> what, what does <laughs> no that mouth fil- do? No get- filter. Okay. <laughs> I, say, I, I, I open mouth, insert foot way too many times. Because I, I, and I never, uh, you know, I always say to people, I don't ever mean to offend anybody, but they're always like, did you just say that? I'm like, am I not allowed to say that? I Is it more stuff? Do you say stuff that pe- other people are afraid to say? Yeah. I okay. Think that's it. Yeah. 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 And I, I think that's um, there's there's way too little of that. There's a lot of tiptoeing around. Well, in because tough situations. Well, and everything is you know politically. Uh, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, like, yeah. you're not allowed to say that in today's world. You're not allowed yeah. to say this. You're not allowed to say that. It's like you're almost afraid to speak sometimes because who are you going to offend? Yeah. You know, and it's like I, the thing I just want to tell people, if I offended you, it was never on purpose. It's out of stupidity. I didn't know that I did offend you. So you're a little yeah. asterisk beside yeah, everything you say. exactly. Okay, so because it's my show, I'm going to ask one more shallow question because I want to. If you could choose your own nickname, what would it be? Well, I don't know that I chose it, but it's been chosen for me, the okay. honey badger. Honey badger? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The honey, honey badger, badger don't care. I, no, it's a little worse than that. Okay. <laughs> honey badger don't give up. Uh, yeah. Okay. Then yeah. we go back to that mouth. Yeah. 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 Look it up on the it, – it's a yes. YouTube – you've seen re- the YouTube oh, video. Yes. Yeah. so funny. And so many people are like, oh, my God, that's you, Susie. You just don't stop. And I'm like, because I, I don't really care. Yeah. You can't do that. Yeah. And, you know, and because I got that a lot in yeah. the beginning. If well, it was so easy, then I, I'm like, I don't know why nobody's doing it. If if I'm not supposed to do it, somebody will come and tell me I'm not supposed to do it, but I'm yep, doing yep. it. Yeah. It's they working. Say, ask forgiveness instead of, ask her forgiveness mm-hmm. instead exactly. of permission. And for, yeah. And yes. I said, it's all straight from the heart. Yeah. So. 
Well, thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're welcome. This for was sharing fun. your wonderful really story. Fun. And you are a great example of someone who can take what they've done in their career to date and turn it into something that is more meaningful to them. And then, in your case, to the world. So we get really and attract the people like yes. you know the volunteers that we have. They are the backbone. Did you say fifteen hundred volunteers? Yeah, but yeah. I mean, and nine hundred square feet. So it just did yeah. That. <laughs> but you really only see probably two or three hundred of them. But it's very very rare that we'll go. Oh my gosh, somebody doesn't. You know, we need to get some runners for this. It's yeah. like because everybody wants a way that they can help. Yes. And there's so many different ways. I mean, we have special needs kids and adults that come in and just put stickers on things yeah. and we have another group of older women that really they can't stand and and chop and slice and dice, but they put the donuts and wrap them and, you know, it just there's something for everybody. There is. I love that. You've created a hub and you've attracted all these wonderful spokes. All and all the good people wanna help. Yes. Everybody sees it as it is simple, but if we have to we have to do it together. Yes. That's so. a great way to end. Thank you so much for your time. I hope Thank you, you have uh, inspired some people to help. And it's LawsoupCincinnati.com. Go there and find a way to give. Thank you, Susie. Awesome. Thank you. If you enjoyed meeting the Evolved Careerist on today's episode, well, we've got a lot more lined up for you. Subscribe, tell your friends, rate us and write a review. And of course, follow us on social media. But if you're interested in learning more about how you can evolve your career, you can contact us through theevolvedcareer.com or thebaukegroup.com. And that's B-A-U-K-E. Do you know somebody who'd be a great guest, who has a great career story to tell? Or do you think you qualify? Then email me. My email address is in the podcast description. Until next time, here's to your career happiness.